You know, through the years, I have come to distinguish between the mirage of worldly power and the real power, between the fleeting power and the permanent power, between the visible power and the invisible power, between the ever-dying power and the everlasting power, between the self-serving power and the self-giving power, and there's a world of difference between those two categories. Humanity at large is almost always tempted by the fleeting and the visible and the ever-dying and the self-serving power. They are impressed with this type of power. In fact, I heard about uh, two American Indians who were communicating with each other from two hills in New Mexico across a valley with smoke signals. This is how they were communicating. One would send up a message and smoke signal, and the other one would respond. And, And this went on for quite a while. And meanwhile, in the desert of New Mexico, the U.S. government was uh, doing some nuclear testing, and there was a huge explosion. And one of the American Indians looked at that, and he was absolutely mesmerized. He was fascinated. And the next message he was sending to his buddy on the other side, he's saying, wow, I wish I could talk like that. (laughs) On the day of Pentecost, Jesus, true to his promise, that he gave to his disciples, he sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus always keeps his promise. Don't you ever doubt it? True to his word, he sent the Holy Spirit. He told them that they will not have life without the life giver. He told them that they cannot have effective witness without the power of the Holy Spirit. He told them that they cannot have any true fellowship with one another without the unity of the Spirit. He told them that they cannot develop a Christian character without the fruit of the Spirit. He told them that they cannot have true understanding of the Word of God without the Spirit of truth. And true to His Word, in Acts chapter 2, ten days after His ascension, Jesus sends His Holy Spirit to dwell permanently in the believers. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2, is a turning point in the history of the kingdom of God. Acts, chapter 2, tells us that on the day of Pentecost, Jesus kept His Word. But not only that, it tells us something more significant. It's telling us that the day of Pentecost, like Christmas Day, like Good Friday, like Easter Day, like Ascension Day, the day of Pentecost is unrepeatable. It cannot be repeated. Pentecost was the inaugural day for the renewing, for the giving of the Holy Spirit. While Pentecost is individually experienced afresh in each believer's life when they become born again. The day of Pentecost itself is unrepeatable. It cannot be repeated just like you cannot repeat Christmas, just like you cannot repeat Good Friday, just like you cannot repeat Easter Sunday, just like you cannot repeat Ascension Day. So in order to focus our attention and get our thoughts in gear, let's look at this passage of 
Acts 2. I want to concentrate under three headings. First of all, in verses 1 to 4, Acts chapter 2, I want to talk about the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, verses 5 to 11, I want to talk about the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, verses 12 and 13, I want to talk about the explanation of the power of the Holy Spirit. The evidence, the effect, and the explanation. In verse 1 of chapter 2 in the book of Acts, Dr. Luke is telling us something very significant. Here's what he's saying. As a scientist and a scientific mind, well-organized, systematic, he is telling us that when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. There were 120 of them. There were the 12, and then 120, but total. 120 in one place. They were all in one accord. What does that mean? They were jammed together. (laughs) I am sure they were jammed physically, but they were jammed spiritually together. That's really what it means. They were united in purpose. They were united in waiting. They were united in an anticipation. They were united in their expectations of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The word Pentecost means 50th, or comes from 50, the 50th. What does it mean? Well, it was the Jewish Feast of Harvest. And the Jewish Feast of the Harvest always took place 50 days from the day of Passover. That's why it's called the 50th day. The 50th day of Passover is the day of the harvest. It was also a celebration of Moses being given the law by God. Remember this, that the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Remember that the Old Testament is the shadow, and the New Testament is the real thing. What people saw vaguely, now they see clearly. All the symbolism in the Old Testament now have taken place and seen their fulfillment and their ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament. To all of the Old Testament symbols, and now found their meanings in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was on Passover day that the Jews slayed a lamb in order to remind them of their escape from the days of slavery. And the reason was called Passover, you remember, because God told them to slay a lamb and then put the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death will come, and he will slay the firstborn of the Egyptians, but then he will see the blood, and he will pass. He said, this is God's people. That's what I call Passover. They were passed over, and they were saved, and they were delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery. And it was on that Passover day, 2,000 years ago, that the Lamb of God was slain on the cross of Calvary in order that He may deliver all those who put their trust in Him from not only sin but the consequences of their sin, not only sin but the punishment of sin. So 50 days later, when the Jews celebrated the feast of offering their first fruit to God, 50 days after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first spiritual fruit were given. Fifty days after the Passover, where the Lamb of God was slain, 
the believer's inheritance was manifested. Dr. Luke said that on that day, suddenly, and here's the word suddenly, which indicate a sense of surprise. You will say, why surprise? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus told them before they left that the Holy Spirit is coming. They knew He was coming, but they didn't have a clue as to how and when He's coming. Now, beloved Christians, listen to me, please. The same thing is going to happen on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who love His appearing, those who are longing for His return, those who are expecting His return, those who know that His return is imminent, there's still going to be an element of surprise because He's going to come as a thief in the night. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus comes back today, will you be ready to meet Him? Can you say, come, Lord Jesus? I've got all my affairs in order. I can't wait for you to come back. And here Dr. Luke is telling us that there are three evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. He said there was an awesome sound, there was an awesome light, and then there was an awesome speech. There was an awesome sound in the upper room. Now, in the Hebrew language, you must understand that the word breath, the word wind, and the word spirit, three words in English, one word in Hebrew, ruach. Sounds like a breath, doesn't it? Ruach takes your breath away. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it says that the Spirit of the Lord was hovering on the earth in English, sounds so anemic. Just sounds like here's a gentle dove just flying over the waters. No, no, no. That's not really what it means. Let me tell you what it means. Think of the wind that blows on a hurricane at 120, 140, maybe 200 miles an hour, and then you get the picture. God used that power of that powerful wind in order to create the world, create the earth. There is no telling of what speed and, and what power of that wind that took place in that first creation when God created the world, when the breath of God breathed upon the earth, when His Spirit was not hovering but gusting on the earth. So here in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it tells us, that there was a violent wind. Why? Why there was a violent wind associated with this historic event of the coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell on the earth for the first time? Because on the day of Pentecost, a new creation is taking place. Here, on the day of Pentecost, a new spiritual creation is happening right in front of our eyes. In Genesis, we see the creation of man. In the book of Acts, we see the recreation of man. In Genesis, we see God breathe in man, and He gives him a soul. And here, in the book of Acts, we see God breathe His Spirit into men and women, and they become born again of the Spirit of God. Not only it was an awesome sound, but it was an awesome sight. Luke said that there were tongues of fire. Now, this was not literal fire, by the way, because if it was, probably would have burned the building down. Well, how do I know that? Am I making this up? No. It says, as of, as of, tongues of fire. What does the fire symbolize to you? What does the fire symbolize? Well, the fire in the Old Testament symbolized the presence of God. Fire in the Old Testament symbolized light. Fire in the Old Testament symbolized warmth. Fire in the Old Testament symbolized purity. 
And before the coming of the Holy Spirit of God, the world was cold, it was dark, it was unloved, it was impure. Then when the Holy Spirit came, He's changed all that. In fact, Jesus Himself said in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, He said, I came to bring fire on earth. It was the fire of His presence. It was the fire of His light. It was the fire of His love. It was the fire of His warmth. It was the fire of purity. Now, please hear me right. There are some foolish people who are going around attacking the Christian faith and attacking Christians, and they are saying that Christians should not serve in public office I want to tell you something. They are truly ignorant of the fact that if it was not for the Holy Spirit of God in the believer's life in this world, this world would become dark, anarchistic, horrible, and unlivable. And one day when God takes the believers home and the Holy Spirit is withdrawn from this world, they can understand the miserable condition in which they're going to find themselves, and they will try to be regretful, but it will be too late. Awesome sound affecting the ears, awesome sight affecting the eyes, but then there was an awesome speech. When the Holy Spirit filled the disciples, they were able to speak foreign languages. Why? Why? Well, so that I, Michael Youssef, become a Christian. No, this is not an egotistical statement. Don't misunderstand me. I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. You'll understand a direct effect from the day of Pentecost to this day where you're sitting here watching me. In fact, this is my second point that I'm getting into now, verses 5 to 11, the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit. The effect of the power of the Holy Spirit. When the apostles spoke in tongues, they were speaking a foreign language. It was not gibberish. It was definable language. On the day of Pentecost, there were pilgrims from all over the known world at the time in the city of Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing how God works that Jesus would be crucified in the day of Passover when the estimate is about up to more than one million people come from all over the world to Jerusalem. And here they are by the hundreds of thousands in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell permanently on earth. They were from every corner of the Roman era. They're from Mesopotamia. They were from Cappadocia, from Pontus, from Asia, from Phrygia, from Pamphylia, from Egypt, from Rome from Crete, and from Arabia. What is the purpose of the tongue? Why did God, the Holy Spirit, manifested Himself in such power and giving them the ability to speak a foreign language? Why? You see, most of these guys only spoke Hebrew and spoke the colloquial Hebrew to, at best. Some of them knew Greek, but not much. Remember what Jesus said to them, and we saw in that chapter 1 of the book of Acts? Remember what He said? He said to them what? To wait in the upper room, right? But before that, He said what? He said, you're going to be my witnesses. 
But he said, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. If you do it on your own, you'll be discouraged within a couple of days, and it's all over. But he said, you wait until the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit, comes upon you. He is the one who's going to empower you. He is the one who's going to encourage you. He is the one who's going to give you boldness. He is the one who's going to speak through you. He is the one who's going to make you effective. So don't go off on your own, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. But you are going to be my witnesses. Now the Holy Spirit had come with such awesome sound and with such awesome sight. And now they're given an awesome speech, speaking foreign language. Why? So that they can be witnesses to all these hundreds of thousands of people from every corner of the Roman Empire. He said, you're going to be my witnesses, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and then you're going to be effective witnesses. How can they become effective witnesses? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave them the ability to speak the languages of those people who were visiting Jerusalem. This was such an awesome power, so that the hundreds of thousands of visitors who came to Jerusalem could hear the gospel in their own tongue, and they can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you how effective their witness of that day was 2,000 years later. The Bible said that there were devout Jews from Alexandria who were there on the day of Pentecost. And these devout Jews heard the gospel and stricken to their hearts, and they believed in Jesus Christ and immediately took the gospel to the city of Alexandria. And that city, as all Egyptian cities, were pagans, worshiping pagan gods. But as they began to proclaim the gospel, and the gospel began to spread, in fact, history tells us that within about a hundred years, 85% of the population gave their life to Jesus Christ. Talk about the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people of Egypt who were worshiping the Son, S-U-N, the god Ra, turned around and renounced paganism, and they began to worship the Son, S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then for the next few hundred years, Egypt became the center, Alexandria became the center of Christian theology, until some 600 years later when the Arabs came and changed all that. But nonetheless, my ancestors remained faithful for 2,000 years to the passing of the witness from those handful of devout Jews who were in Jerusalem in the day of Pentecost to my generation. There are about 10 to 12 million Christians who have survived the onslaught of persecution for 2,000 years, and all began on the day of Pentecost. Let me tell you something, beloved friends. When God says to you, do something, I'm going to give you my power of my Holy Spirit to do it. You can be sure He's not only going to do that, but you're going to have an impact that is lasting until Jesus comes back. Don't undermine, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer, an obedient believer, not a lukewarm believer, not a social Christian, not a pew warmer, but an obedient Christian. There's power in the mixture between an obedient 
child of God and the Holy Spirit. And it all goes back to the day of Pentecost. Talk about the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit. I gave it to you in chapter and verse in history, and I believe God can use us in this place in just as mighty a way if we have God's vision for His world. And today there are faithful witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit, being effective witnesses for Jesus Christ in every corner of the globe. And, and, and just because it is, does not make headline news on CNN, and just because it does not make headline news in, in the Washington Post or the New York Times, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. It is taking place all over the world. There is an invisible power which the world is so blinded to, cannot see, cannot understand, cannot comprehend that is happening in every corner of the globe today. In fact, this week I saw a quote from Spike Lee, the filmmaker, and I thought it was a sobering quote, Now I want to read it to you. He said, as we move into the new millennium, the most powerful nations are not those who have nuclear bombs, but those who control the media. And that is where the battle is being fought. This is how you control people's minds. End of quote. Make no mistake about it. The secular media would cling to the fleeting power. They would cling to the earthly power. They would cling to the ever-dying power. They would cling to the self-serving power. But we proclaim the invisible power. We proclaim the permanent power. We proclaim the everlasting power. We proclaim the self-giving power. And faithful believers around the world know what it is to have real power, everlasting power, permanent power, self-giving power, invisible power. One day when the invisible power becomes visible, one day when Jesus is manifested in His glory, those who have been intoxicated with false, fleeting, earthly powers are going to weep and gnash their teeth, the Bible said. But, beloved friends, it will be too late. You see, the spirit of universalism invaded the church, first in the mainline church, now in the evangelical church, and now is invading the hearts of Christians, that God is too loving, God is too kind, He will not send anybody to hell. For sure He won't send anybody to hell, but they will send themselves to hell. It will be too late. You see, the door of mercy one day will be shut. The door of grace one day will be shut. The door of salvation one day will be shut. The door of forgiveness that is open today, and you're taking it for granted, and you're taking it for granted, one day will be shut, and it will be too late. It will be too late. It will be too late. I implore you, if you have not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, submitted to His authority and received Him as the Savior of your life, that you would do that today. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit, the effect of the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the explanation of the power of the Holy Spirit, verses 12 to 13. There were two reactions to the manifestation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Two reactions. There were some who were stricken to their heart. They were amazed. They were perplexed, and then when Peter explained things to them, three thousands of them have come and responded to the invitation of salvation. That's one reaction, but there's another reaction. There were those who mocked, those 
who ridiculed. They said they have too much wine, they're drunk. Two reactions. You know, whenever the gospel is faithfully preached, you will always get two reactions. And no third. Two reactions. There are those who stand in amazement and find the salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the peace that passes understanding in this life and eternal life to come. And there are those who mock, those who ridicule, those who rationalize the rejection and will end up in torment for the rest of eternity. Nothing changed in 2,000 years. We hear people today who say, mentioning the name of Jesus in public is divisive. While deeply I grieve for them, and I really, truly do. My reaction is like, I want to be like the kids who say, duh. (laughs) Of course it's divisive. Of course. What else do you expect? Jesus said, He told us so. His name is divisive. He said that my name will be divisive. He said that I came to bring a sword, and a sword divides. Of course it's divisive. He Himself said, I came to bring a fire. Of course it's divisive. Jesus said that there are going to be sheep, and there are going to be goats. Jesus said that there are going to be wheat, and it's going to be chaff. Jesus Himself told us that there are those who will believe in Him and those who will ignore Him and reject Him. And we shouldn't be surprised. We really shouldn't be surprised. Sad, motivated to make Him known, but not surprised. We're sad because the day of the harvest In the day of the coming judgment, those who mocked Him, those who rejected Him, those who ignored Him, those who despised Him, will experience eternal separation from Him, separation from all that is good in this world. For anything that is good in this world comes from His hand. I heard years ago somebody said, you know, he said, for the non-believers, this world is the best that is going to be for them. But for the believers in Jesus Christ, what you experience in this world is the worst you're ever going to experience. Because He is the one who tells the sun to rise in the morning. He is the one who tells the grass to grow. He is the one who tells the rain to pour down. He is the one from whom all blessings flow. Try to imagine this world without Him. Hell on earth. But for those who have received Him, those who humble themselves before Him, those who recognize Him as the Savior and Lord and the Master of their life, those who have surrendered the reign and the rule of their lives to Him, those who have worshipped Him, those who have bowed to Him, will experience nothing short of heaven with Him. It has been the prayer of my heart that not what a single person who has heard the Word of God and the voice of God speaking to you, that you would stop running, stop rationalizing, stop explaining away, and in simple, innocent, 
surrender. Say, Lord, I give up. You're the master. You're the pure, holy, sinless Son of God who died for me, a sinner, who's running my own life, and I'm tired of it. Every time I seek for peace, I got nothing but war inside of me. Today is the day. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If there's one person here today can say, Lord Jesus, I have been running, I've been rationalizing, I've been mocking. Today, I'm going to give my life to you. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you this day. And I'll tell you something about what the promise of Jesus is. He said, nobody, nobody that comes to me and asks me to come into his or her life that I will no way reject. I thank you, Father God, that you, in the power of your Holy Spirit, have spoken to them. Father God, I pray that their surrender be real and that, Holy Spirit, you would fill them at this very moment, that you are the God of all truth. Teach them the truth. Oh, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.